This is Shaka Wart Speak. Deconstructing Jerry's Tweet. Hey, Jerry. Hey, welcome to Shaka Wart Speak. You just heard a sweet little intro to a new a new bit we're doing that will be sprinkled throughout uh, the season this year. Um, and that is <laughs> deconstructing Jerry's tweets. Just any Jerry? <laughs> uh, Jerry on Twitter, who happens to be a, a famous New York critic, mm, last name. Jerry. Yeah, last name rhymes with uh, Maltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it's Jerry Saltz. <laughs> and he, there's a tweet where he gives us permission to use his content, where he says, you know, you can make with it what you want. And so we thought it would be fun to deconstruct some of Jerry's tweets because he's an influential thinker. Yeah, and not everything he says is pure garbage. Yeah, and that voice that you hear right now, that actually is Dr. Snacksmill. Hey, folks. He's lost his voice, so he's going to, he's going to, not he can't help himself. He wasn't I supposed can't. to talk today, but he's uh, talking to you in his best Barry White voice. Also, because you bring up Jerry Saltz, I can't keep my mouth closed. <laughs> I can't keep his mouth closed. So this is a new this is a new deal. We're gonna we're gonna um, so you know part of this is because we can't we can't pick up with the series we started because we need Gareth to be at full strength. Yeah, and we wanted to introduce this, and so we thought you know what, we'll make this a quick a quick episode. Um, you know, uh, get us thinking. And I think, you know, sometimes it's fun to interact with someone else's thoughts. Again, not that we have it all right, but sometimes um, we take the people that have the most power and assume they have it all right. Yeah. And we drink down the ear tickling. You know, sometimes they preach to the choir in a way it's not very helpful for us as makers with, with truisms. And what we've noticed over the years is that Jerry is, um, well, he's gifted at truisms that may or may not be true. And sometimes he does it with a, you know, like a certain amount of arrogance. And uh, so let's talk, let's, let's look at a couple of these. I, I want to, um, want to do it with respect, but um, I want to read a quote here. We'll just jump off of the tweet. This is from 12, 27, 21. And Jerry says, an artist need only be absolutely original, true versions of themselves. None of us are alike. Your talent is you, capitalized. Courage and perseverance are your deep content. He didn't even, uh, he didn't have either. He had simple desire. No true, true artist ever stops making art. They can't. Air they breathe. So it doesn't really work completely, but they can't. It's the air they breathe. So I think there's some um, some things that sound pretty nice in there. Mm-hmm. You know, right away, one of them is that an artist needs to be truly themselves. I think, I think that's, I think that's very, very true. I think, yeah. I think um, you got to start there. You got to start where you're at with honesty. And I, I'm a big uh, subscriber to that. I think it's difficult to do. I don't think I do it perfectly well, but I do think that that's true. And I think if you can live with where you're at, you can, um, if you can be honest where you're starting and what you're doing, um, you can you can learn to let the rest sort of land where it, where it will. Uh, as far as the way people think about your work, what they think about it, and so on. Now, then he he shifts over and he says, none of us are alike. Well, I know the sentiment of what he's saying, but that's not entirely true. Um, uh, I I teach at an art school. There's a lot of people that are alike. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're not all carbon copies of each other, no. for sure. But to say we're not alike is yeah, is we have strong really commonality and diversity, and yeah. so it's both. And that's the confounding way in which we experience life. Like, in fact, sometimes um, uh, two people that could be really um, 
not excited about each other has to do with how much they have in common. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're mirroring back to each other things that frustrate them about themselves or, and so, and there's a lot of artists that, you know, just take a scroll on Instagram and you'll find a lot of artists making exactly the same kinds of things, almost indistinguishably. Yeah. I mean, commonality is how museums can actually exist. That's right. That's right. So, so, you know, we, we, um, we are both individual persons, but we are also kind of part of a collective reality and, and, um, uh, we're the kind of beings that, uh, share, uh, you know, uh, share genetic, like all kinds of stuff. Right. But so, um, so fine, I get it. You know, you're, you're you and, um, courage and perseverance are your deep content. Well, why? Yeah, I, I don't what does that, that mean? Um, yeah, because I mean, there's, uh, I mean, if that were the case, like, there's plenty of people that have courage and perseverance that are in the art world. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that they would ever say that that's like part of, like, it's their deep content, whatever the heck that is. Yeah, it's, it's a, so it's, that's some magic words. So, so perseverance, yeah, 21st mysticism, right? 21st century mysticism right there. So, courage assumes a world that requires it. Now, I'm not saying the world doesn't require courage, but what I am saying is, if this is singularly what we are, then what kind of world do we exist in where courage and perseverance are the only two things that constitute a deep you? It sounds like a really busted world. Yeah, it does. Um, and if I'm defined by how brave I am and how much I persevere, perseverance to what and in what? So so he, he makes a lot of blanket statements that are open to tickling your ear and connecting with what you've already sort of decided before you ever heard the quote. Mm-hmm. He makes a lot of um, statements that are safe to make and they operate at kind of like a sophomoric level of, of inquiry. So, so what you'll get in replies is, oh my gosh, this is exactly what, you know, I'm all about uh, being courageous and persevering in my truth or, and it's like, those could be real things. I mean, I think we have yeah. to be courageous at times, yeah. but is that, is that at the center of who you are? And does that mean that your practice is built out of fear and difficulty only? Um, does that does that mean that you never obtain to a place where maybe your your only determining uh, motivation is, is 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 fear, or does it move to where you have? Is there other motivations? Is there yeah, other reasons for making? Is I there, think the the sort of saddest thing about that for me is uh, that it, it negates any ability for you to make something out of joy or enjoyment. That those things aren't there. Yeah, you know, you can't just you can't just like going to your studio. Yeah, because that's not that's not your deep that's not your deep content. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. that like anything made out of joy is somehow yeah. now lessened and yeah. disgusting and cheap or something. And it also means it also means that your human value, your self worth, and your dignity is actually instrumentalized. So you're only as deep and valuable as what you do. Yeah. And I would argue that value precedes doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, therefore, and <clears throat> therefore you don't have to prove yourself all the time. Yeah. Your value is distinctive. It's part and parcel to who you are. And so here, but here's the, here's the stuff that as we work over several of his, his tweets mm-hmm. and we deconstruct them, I want you to notice a, a perpetual contradiction. Um, Jerry assumes absolute truth without being someone who believes in absolute truth. Yeah. So he makes absolute truth claims and then critiques people under a claim that he himself verbally would never, never submit to. Mm-hmm. So he says, no true, true artist ever stops making art. They can't. It's the air they breathe. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, to be dumb, everybody dies. That's yeah. more true than true, true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, artists, the I, it's it, it capitulates the idea of an artist as someone who's narrowed to the doing to the exclusion of relationships, life, broadly speaking, being known. Um, it, it fosters an unhealthy idea of what an artist should be. And notice how if you don't fall into this definition, then you are not a true, true artist. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like uh, I can't help but get into places where I start to ask questions about like, is he talking about means of production? And if he's talking about that, then then to what ends, uh, what systems uh, that are that can be really oppressive is he really all about where he would say that the production of an artist is the thing that defines them mm-hmm. outside of anything else? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, 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 it mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like it's one of those statements that if you really break it down, like you should be infuriated by what he's saying. Jerry Saltz is essentially analogous to like a bad, like to like a pop singer who, mm-hmm. who, who makes pop anthem songs that reinforce a moment of a certain section of the population wanting to feel a certain way. Yeah. And so they hear it and they go, yeah, that's my anthem. And when you're in that headspace, you read this and you go, yeah, that's my anthem. But um, as you live longer and you live through ups and downs, uh, you don't always want to make art. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you're not an artist anymore. And there's times where you do want to make art, but life just won't let you. You won't let you. You got, you know, six months because you're in the hospital or you got a job that, that is eminently critical to your, your safety and your well-being and provision overwhelms the ability to make for a season. Yeah. And that doesn't, so this goes back to that persevering thing. And like, um, you're not, what makes an artist is a little more up in the air, I think. Um, but I don't think you live and die on a beam of, um, true doing or not doing 24 seven. I can't talk to anybody because the only thing I can do is do this. I've known plenty of people that are, uh, not very here. here, Okay. So let me say this anecdotally. One of the things that I've experienced just in my own anecdotal experience, just me talking about my experience, not what's right or wrong or anything like that at all is I've known more, more people to say, I can't not do art. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the air I breathe. And, the people that I've known that say that have often been not very good at all yeah. and also not making very much. So the irony is they don't make uh, historically in my experience, I've found, I've found this strange compensation through the statement that doesn't match the actions. And what I've noticed is the artists that are making like that are like making and doing things. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about how that they're not worried about whether or not they can do it. And can they stop as much as I've just found them to be like enamored with the things they're doing and thinking about it. And so this is what I mean when I say it's a very sophomoric capitulation. It's a very provincial capitulation. And a lot of artists that are really working, you know, they may sit down with a glass of wine and say, oh, my gosh, I just have to do it. And maybe that's true. But I don't think we have to do it. Half twos are like breathing Mm -hmm. and eating. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is choice, decision. Now you may be profoundly compelled and, and, you know, we're doing a talk on calling and so we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I've rarely met anybody that says that, that actually is very good. Yeah. And by very good, I mean, capable maker with clear ideas, who's doing it with great frequency and consistency. It, it's a, it's an overcompensating declaration. Mm-hmm. So I, I just find, find just I mean, as a jumping off point. It seems also like a, a, a pretty, <clears throat> 
it, it shows kind of a deep ignorance of mm-hmm. what the making process looks like, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that when we're talking about kind of professional practice, that outcome, uh, the production is, mm-hmm. is a small part of it. So there may be, um, you may have months, um, half a year, a year, years on end where you're not producing, but it doesn't mean you're inactive as an artist, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, uh, I was at the Met a few years back and uh, I went into a room and they had one painting and then they had all of the process sketches that this painter had done. Mm-hmm. It was a small little exhibit in the second floor. And uh, it was amazing because there were like 47 sketches that were done over the life of making this one painting. And the painting itself had been kind of overpainted, painted like two, three times at least. Um, but it was amazing to watch the progress. Now, in Jerry's words, it seems almost like those 47 sketches means that that person wasn't an artist yet because mm-hmm. they weren't producing anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All that was in their house from outside appearance, nobody would have known what they sure. were doing. But this one painting, you know, because you go into a museum as a kid and you see things <laughs> where they're like, uh, here's this painting. And then the it's like 1811 to 1823. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what are they, what, yeah. 12 years, what are they doing? Yeah. And that was it. It was yep. a beautiful way to look at it. But you had to say that they're constantly producing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, at best he is using bad language uh, to make a really obtuse point. Yeah. Um, At worst, he uh, has no concept of what an artist does. Yeah. And, and and so somewhere in there, what I think is you'll find is a fatal flaw in his thinking and it allows him to make axioms, uh, axiomatic statements, truth claims that he believes are self-evident. And he doesn't care about contradiction at all. <clears throat> but I bet you he does when it comes to getting paid. Mm, yeah. You know, I bet you he, he, he wants what he believes is owed paid to him. Yeah. So, so I promise you that he's inconsistent with mm-hmm. um, his paradox. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll find this. So I'm going to read another one from him. This is from a January, 2021. <clears throat> Gareth found this quote. It says a good art, a good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist. Let me read it and I'll come back. See, I'm already... Okay, so <laughs> listen to this very carefully. Let's see if you all can find the flaw. Listen for the flaw. A good art, a good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist puts into making it. The artist only creates. The critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity itself. Hmm. That's called hubris. Yeah, it's huge hubris. That's pompous. Um, so, yeah. what's the fate? What's the first fatal fatal flaw? Well, maybe um, you caught it. Oh. Yeah, you want to? You. I was going to be flippant. I was going to say it came from Jerry's mouth. Yeah, it came from Jerry's mouth. First fatal flaw. <laughs> so we don't. Want, we, Sorry, that's just me. I'm just speaking for me. I'm not so, speaking for both of us. A good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than artists put into making it. Okay, so let's be really dumb. A good a good critic always that's a problem. Yeah. Always puts in more work than the artist puts into the art. Okay, two things. How do you verify that? I know it seems dumb, but how do you verify that? Yeah. <clears throat> you can't. No, not at all. How do you quantify work? How do you quantify work? And why is it essential for you to make an absolute truth claim to point out that uh, writers do meaningful work? Right. Yeah. And critics and do meaningful work. And then to follow it up with artists only create. Yes. Like, only create. To like demonize like the work. Right. Like, oh, anybody can do that. Well, well, Jerry can't. Yeah. Jerry could. Jerry I mean, failed. He's him. open. He's open about it. Yeah. He says he's a failed artist. So, so Jerry, 
So listen to let's read this one more time. A good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist puts into making it. That's false. You can't quantify it, and it's guaranteed not always true. Mm-hmm. By the way, he's hanging out with Clement Greenberg right now. Yeah, he's trying to be a '50s art critic where critics rule the day, yeah. and artists need them as shamanistic priests to um, divine uh, the meaning of their work. And, and I also, I mean, with that. he's been he's been pretty open about the fact that uh, he said time and time again that social media has turned everybody into an art critic, uh, which means it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and social media doesn't only requires you to make a couple sentences, which is not very much work. Yeah. And, and so he's falling victim to an inconsistency in his own statement about critics mm-hmm. because he writes these things and tweets. Um, so, so um, the artist only creates that's just a problem. <laughs> the, the word only the artist yeah. only creates um, in the artist as if every artist is the same. Remember what he said in the last tweet, how everybody's different. Everybody is you and that's it. So how is he able to speak about a multitude of different people as though they're all the same? They only create. Why would you want this guy writing about your art when he devalues you and uses you at the same time to prop up his own hubris? Yeah, you only create. You only create. No big deal. And the the critic, oh, here we go. Notice the change in language. The critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity itself. Well, it's funny because uh, if you take that line out and let's throw it back in the time about 300 years, I could read that uh, from a uh, kind of an expressionist artist that would look at something and say, the painter must plumb uh, creation and also write and also paint creatively enough to deliver the full volume of that art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity. Itself. Exactly. They would, somebody could yeah, say somebody, that somebody probably easily has. within our history yeah, yeah, would yeah. have said something like that about the process of painting. Yeah. And so the, the work of art and so language is worth a thousand. I always say that a picture is worth a thousand words and words worth a thousand um, pictures. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is there's a fullness to create uh, to reality mm-hmm. that, um, has creative potential laden within it and actual expressions that are clear. So we're always working out of a reality that's very clear and very mysterious and very unfoldable, unpackable and knowable, but over time through process and words and credible expressions through poetry, through visualization, through uh, creative arts, through story together are um, not able to exhaust the nature of knowing. Otherwise, we'd be all knowing beings right now. We're not. Yeah. So they do a mutually supportive work at elucidating the depths of the, the world we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. We've, we've done talks on this. You know? Yeah. And so um, Jerry's being, again, opportunistically sophomoric to make uh, axiomatic truth claims unchecked. And the thing is, because he holds a certain amount of social capital mm-hmm. and he can kind of uh, um, dismiss whatever he wants um, in author books and, you know, just be a writer. Um, a lot of people want his cultural capital. And so they're willing to agree, agree with him in order to be seen in his good graces. Yeah. And I've seen this with famous critics a lot. Uh, I, I won't go into my personal experience, but I've had it mm-hmm. where I've watched people change their whole studio practice because they're in proximity to very famous critics because they've bought into the idea that they need the critic to justify their work. Yeah. I saw this is completely, I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but I was, um, what's the, uh, Paul Logan or Logan, 
the the YouTuber that boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Yeah. So he's in his interview with this sports analyst named Stephen A. Smith, and Logan Paul said something that I I thought was or Paul Logan, whichever. I thought was really surprising and interesting to me. He said he started boxing to show box because he loves boxing to show boxers how they don't have to be beholden to the promoters mm. that there's that you can get outside of the the control of the promoters and have the ability to create energy and money and support for your fights now i'm not i'm not like a boxer and i'm not endorsing this but i thought holy smokes man this is true yeah and so here's this guy who's a youtube influencer people hate him but he's learned but he's boxing and winning against other people that are not trained boxers but he's making more money than boxers mm-hmm. and he's a boxing fan and he's like i'm creating a, a picture and trying to say like you can go a different route like you don't have to just do it the way it's been done yeah and Stephen a was like this is what people don't know about you that i love and i was like you know what like i love the entrepreneurial spirit of that statement and i guess the reason why i bring it up is to say that um you know there's people like uh shoot Peter Halley was one of the first examples for me personally of a studio artist that was like, I can't rely on critics to write about my work. I'm going to write about my own work. And he started writing <laughs> manifestos. Now, manifestos prior to that were a thing. So, yeah. But I mean, like he really went in idiosyncratically and uh, ambitiously tried to like articulate this audacious statement about his the, the systems he's working within and some of the implications of the systems and how that translated into his abstract work. And it was really uh, refreshing. And um, not all of us need to be authors and writers. But what I'm saying is we don't necessarily need the power of the critic anymore. No. Because the critics are mostly commentary. And then you have uh, uh, Trump-like self-promoters mm-hmm. like Jerry Saltz who, who really are there for themselves. Oh, yeah. They're not actually there for your work. Mm-hmm. And so when we digest, and I don't know who's listening and who listens to Jerry Salt, but um, when we listen to people like this, I think it's just a helpful exercise in being discerning. Yeah, it, of, it is of truisms, you know, of truth claims. I mean, and also with that, like, you know, I don't know if this is kind of a point to kind of land some things on, but I don't, I don't have um, major problems with everything he says. No, of course not. I think a lot of it is That's like important the, the sort of the, the context in which he places things. So if we look at the end of that last tweet, part where he says. Critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity. I think itself. that's true. I think it's a hundred percent true. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's a great way to say this this is the two sided coin, yeah. the two sided sword that that's the, the dealing with. Yeah. But if you say that after you say the artist only creates, because that's demeaning. There, there, there's a there's a multitude of what artists do. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the finished product. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can't you can't minimize an artist to some sort of factory that churns out a thing. Mm-hmm. And then say, oh, but what I do is more important because I do multiple things. Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. so does an artist. And also you've created a system where where artists only work this hard and always critics work harder yeah. because I've assigned more value to the kind of work that they do. So you're creating a kind of hierarchy that is hilariously dependent upon the work of the artist, mm-hmm. almost parasitically so. Yeah. So so I can make the argument from your standard, your definition, that the artist creates you. Yeah. Which means the artist's work extends to includes you and your autonomy and agency because uh, you're at the expense of the work itself. Mm-hmm. So now we got a problem yeah. because you're beholden to the work. If there's no makers, there's no you. Yeah. And so I think it, 
I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm just saying that if we want to play shallow logic games, I can make a really strong argument for that. Oh yeah. Um, I could really flesh that out. And then, and then what are you going to say? If we want to put it into arbitrary hierarchies that are just self-glorifying, well, um, it doesn't, doesn't need to be done that way. No, it doesn't. I mean, because really like to, to go back to everything we've ever said, I mean, like when you look at statements like these, um, at the end of the day, they're they're not helpful statements. Yeah, um, they're statements that are uh, they cause you know division, they cause issues, and they're also just they're, they're just in a lot of ways it just feels very mean spirited. Yeah, belittling. I just, mean, like yeah, it's, it's yeah, poking yeah. Uh, yeah. fingers at people. So that then in other parts of your writing career, if you say things like Jerry Saltz does, which is prepare to be poor for your whole life. Mm-hmm. You're like well, the, the totality of what he's saying. The holistic we look at it as a holistic conversation. Like he actually has a very large amount of disdain for what artists do. Yeah, he, because he, he hates yeah. them as people. Yeah, as a as a typical failed artist, there's some kind of disdain there somewhere that sneaks in. Yeah, so, some people become art critics, and some people become you know terrible people that form the third Reich. Yeah, that's right. Mm, I won't touch that. I <laughs> no. think it, I think I see the connection. I'm just saying. So here, here's maybe this one last one. Um, subjective. So th- this is interesting. Subjectivity gives agency. Subjectivity is how you, this is from five days ago. Subject, subjectivity is how you make the world come alive. It's how something more than simply, a, it is something more than simply a rule or a given or a discipline or worst of all, a dogma. Pleasure, thinking, feeling are important forms of knowledge. But if you think it's all objective, fine. So it's incoherent. Yeah, so it doesn't make sense. Incoherent. He's he's impressionistically communicating and trusting that you won't put the incoherent logic together, and you'll just get a feeling of the impression because he's talking about subjectivity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, I love how he injects an opinion. Worst, of, so uh, it's so he's giving you rules, okay, and he's giving you dogma. Dogma is um, uh, is is instruction. It's teaching. Mm-hmm. It, so he's teaching you. He's instructing you right now. He's contradicting himself. He's giving you his dogma while trying to down dogma. Yeah. And his dogma says that subjectivity gives you agency. Well, that sounds so nice when it's said that way, if you're not thinking, but it's consistent in his, his sophomoric level of logic. Um, yeah. uh, uh, agency precedes subjectivity. I was going to say, um, but what about folks whose uh, dogma contains the idea that agency agency is actually a foundational idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if agency precedes subjectivity, we're um, the world is subjective because there's an objective. I was gonna say you have to have the space to actually be subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so so uh, subjectivity and objectivity are ways of talking about that which is and that that uh, in in how we relate to it or correspond to it. Yeah. And so subjectivity uh, is not what makes the world come alive. The world is alive. Mm-hmm. And I am subject to it. Yeah. Very different. Because if, if subjectivity is what makes the world come alive, then that's dependent upon artists mm-hmm. who then write, who, who then make so the critic can plumb the depths of the work and make life at the most, which is a, a kind of uh, uh, narcissism. So uh, flip it the other way. Uh, subjectivity happens because we are people of agent with personhood and capacity mm-hmm. to determine a given state of affairs in a world that precedes us, that is completely alive, that I had nothing to do with bringing to life. Mm-hmm. But what I get to do is make something with this live world. I get to do something with it. I'm I, like that potential is laid bare and it can 
um, enliven that which is alive, mm-hmm. which is very different. That means that I'm not so arrogant so as to think that the world only is alive if I make something with it. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Yeah, It takes two people to bring a child, two lives to bring a life. It takes rich soil to bring the life of the, the vegetation forward. So, so those things precede my own existence. And so, um, you know, so, so you follow his logic and it leads to a kind of um, human centeredness mm-hmm. that is shallow and truncated and actually doesn't bring life. Ironically, it actually brings uh, bitterness and sarcasm and struggle yeah. and difficulty with the assumption that that's the only way it can go, that you have to be courageous and perseverant because that's all that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, now, now, mind you, um, a, it's subjectivity is um, more than simply a rule or a feeling, you know, it, or, or worst of all, a dogma or a given. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to then shift to pleasure, thinking, feeling are important forms of knowledge. That's just an independent statement Yeah, that doesn't really um, grammatically or contextually rest on what, what precedes that. In, in, no, not at all. It's, so it's, it's like, not a coherent yeah, it's not a coherent, coherent at all. It's like, yeah, I think those are credible forms of knowledge that are, um, uh, are part of the, 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 um, uh, the human experience based on what humans are. But it's also, um, um an objective listing of, of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not because <clears throat> it, it, it's not, none of those things are perceived by like my or your, yes. right. They're not, they're not subjective terms he's using. He's using them as objective terms. He's using, so that's, yeah, that's great. So watch how he objectifies while trying to make fun of objective. He says, right. but if you think it's all objective, fine. So watch this though. Subjective subjectivity gives agency, absolute truth claim. Subjectivity is how you can make the world come alive. That's an absolute truth claim. He, he's he's speaking in objective terms yeah. and contradicting himself mm-hmm. because he's unwilling to think deeper and be humbled. He would rather be seen as right and arrogant than humbled by having to do the work of thinking more deeply. Yeah. Now here's my here's my rub. Here's why we're we'll we'll do these every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's because that we should not be listening to people like this. No. Uh, with this much. Um, uh, credence and credit as we give them. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not no saying don't listen to them, but I'm saying think about the implications. Or do you want a world that is more shallow, that actually uh, caters to people that are mean-spirited, condescending, and actually um, uh, make a profit off of your willingness to cater to their thoughts? Yeah. And don't think of this as a matter of mere opinion. Listen for uh, the logic. Listen for the dogma. The dogma, the consistency. So the question is, whenever we do these, which we'll do them every now and then just for kicks, it's yeah. just a fun exercise, is, is um, you know, is, is, is there a consistency to someone? Yeah. And is it knowable? And that's mm-hmm. a question I'd ask you to consider is, as we keep going, look at how many truth claims the person makes. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've interacted with him on Twitter, and he'll back off of what he says. When you catch Constantly. him in a logic trap, he'll back off. Mm-hmm. It's because he's not used to have anybody actually say, hey, what did you mean by that? Hey, hey, you know, maybe you should think about this a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. We're, we're picking at a pop-level critic who's pretty popular and pretty famous. But but also, um, this kind of stuff is kicked around by other critics. And we'll say it trickles down. Yeah, we're empowered. We can listen. We can think. And I would love to see a revival of the whole human, which would include the mind. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see us be a little more reasoned. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see a revival. I actually think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to become 
dumber in some ways. And then you're going to see a, a spring load rebound and look out because there's people that are going to get tired of mindless um, lack of dialogue, polarization, blanket statements. Um, and, you know, you'll send, you'll see censorship for a while, but there's a point where I think people are going to be like, I got real questions. I want to really dialogue about this. I want to know if there's any real meaning. Are you telling me that my life can be summed up in a tweet? Um, sorry, Gareth and I are pretty fired up today, but no, it's, I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> cherry, but, um, yeah. So anyhow, this is our first run at our little, um, <laughs> deconstructing Jerry. And, uh, you know, if you find some quotes or tweets that you want to send to us that you want us to debate or talk about or unpack, send them our way. Um, also, uh, check us out on Patreon. We, we, um, are moving into some next steps with our studio, but also, um, we're really working at, you know, a building campaign and, uh, fundraising for, um, big advancements for Shaco Art Space and, um, your support, you know, if you just go to Patreon and just consider a monthly donation, spread the word, share the podcast. We, we would like to double the amount of listeners that we have this year. Uh, we've got some surprising news coming down the road regarding the podcast that I think you're going to be interested in and um, just great expansion on the horizon. And, it, and it, it requires continued support. It's helpful to know that you're out there and even a dollar a month helps five bucks a month. Um, but if you've been listening for a while, today's the day, check us out, check us out on Patreon, support us. That money actually helps us pay the bills, keep the lights on, um, you know, we are uh, a nonprofit, uh, 501c3. You can, you can use it as a tax write-off. Um, and so, um, and your money goes a long ways. We also got great swag. Check out our shop, um, our merchandise and our sweaters and different things that we've created in-house uh, at chocolateartspace.com. And um, yeah, just uh, stay in touch and also look forward to us picking back up with our uh, emerging series on uh, the artist calling. We'll be looking at things like vocation, what it means to, to do it as a hobby, mm-hmm. and all the in-between spaces. And so I think hopefully it'll be a, a very profitable conversation. Yeah, and uh, thank you for bearing with my voice. Uh, hopefully next time we talk, it'll be fully back. Gareth sounds so much like one of the sisters from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. One of the Bouvier twins. Yes, one of the Bouvier twins. Oh, good. It's Homer. <laughs> there it is and on that note love you guys yeah. and we'll see you next time peace you've been listening to Shaco Art Speak a production of Shaco Art Space we are an independent non-profit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia we can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle